fiber in place. Welcome to this edition of Still in the Race, the podcast about running, except for when it's not. backward and forward. Over the past couple of weeks, I have been wrestling with revisiting the week that we moved and sharing those final hours. While it was taking place, it seemed like keeping it to myself was the prudent choice. How I approached that day of loading a rented van and racing to make as many trips as possible would make no sense to anyone that didn't run or for that matter, anyone who is a casual runner. However, as I debated whether or not to reveal myself, I realized that it would make perfect sense to any lifelong runner. So, with some reluctance, my notes from our last day at Riverhouse. Finding a way. I understand why non-runners find us a bit crazy. I can see it in their eyes. It's hard. At times, it's painful. Actually, I get it more than I admit it. While we were moving, every moment was filled, and it went over a week when I couldn't squeeze in a run. This might not seem like much to a non-runner, but all runners understand the stress that comes with not getting the run in. I was feeling pressured to find a way. Which is why what I did will make perfect sense to runners, but to no one else on the planet and why I hesitated to tell anyone. Throughout that day, I would load far too heavy boxes onto a dolly and take them down the elevator. On the way up, I would run up the steps to our condo. If I happened to come across another resident on the stairs, I would stop running and pretend that I was walking, because anything less would seem crazy. Because it was. Moving is terrible, and no one should make it more difficult than it already is. On that final day, I ran up a total of 70 stories. Technically, I failed to get in a run, but I did manage to run up 70 stories, which probably qualifies me as crazy. But it felt a lot better about the week. Is this the year? Over the years, I've tried to work in a couple of hill runs every month, mostly because I've become so bad at hills. My times have barely moved over the past decade when I'm on a flat course, but throw in a hill and I start surrendering the minutes. Most distressing, I can feel it. When going up an incline, I can feel the energy being sucked out of me, and my recovery time, once I've crested, has lengthened to the point where at times I never fully recover. Hills have become the first obstacle that I have failed to overcome. My problem now is that at our new home, every run is a hill run. I have gone from exploring in all directions, and it's always the same. Constant rolling hills, and many of them both steep and long. I can't find a leisurely path or do a speed workout, although many argue that hills masquerade as speed workouts. Every run is a battle, and the hills are relentless. I should have paid more attention when we were looking for a place to live. I'm starting to come to terms with the reality 
that it's not just the hills that are worrying me. It's the times that I am running as I struggle with the hills. I am slower, much slower, which should be expected, but it brings out the fear that I face every spring at this point in my life. Am I finally slowing down? I can live with losing time over a decade, but it's the fear that a new year will bring on a seismic shift that leads to a rapid downward spiral. I've seen it happen to so many others. It may be a natural part of life, but I'm not ready for it. Yet the times that I'm logging point to such a crossroad. It might be the hills. It might be me. It might be Father Time. And reality is waiting nine days out. I signed up for a race that has more social distancing rules than a mud run has disclaimers. It will be good to get back among my brethren, but it will also tell the truth, which, as I've written, shows up at some point during every run. When I cross the line on that Saturday morning, will I have pushed the future out one more year, or will reality make an ugly appearance? As I write, I feel the weight. Will I know when it's time to quit? I have contemplated the end in many of my writings, but one piece posed the question. Will I even know when it's time to quit? My Running Shadow I regret that there are so few moments when I slow down and take the time to look up from my struggle and enjoy all that is around me when running through the city or along the riverbank that winds through where we currently live. A lifetime of injuries has left my eyes cast down with every step, aware that my next injury is just a stride away. I watch each step, conscious of every uneven surface, a bulge in the concrete or a warped plank of wood along the riverfront. I am all for the pain and discomfort that comes with being a lifelong runner, but I am not for injuries, particularly now that I have reached an age when the healing process seems to linger endlessly. It may sound like a stubborn objective considering how few my age remain on the roads. Still, I have been down this path far too many times, and I find myself committed to trying to see how long I can push this string before finally succumbing to an injury that ends this chapter of life. I have learned to be comfortable with reality that I have reached a point when I must give a nod to time and acknowledge that I am no longer capable of being in good shape, rather forced to settle for being in good shape for my age. It may represent a subtle distinction. Nonetheless, it signals a monumental shift in perspective. It's all part of my thinly thought-out plan to wear out whatever my body has to offer, which feels like a strange goal considering that my body has routinely let me down for decades. It was during a beautiful spring morning when my trek found me along the banks of the Grand River, and the angle of the sun provided one of those moments when events forced my eyes from the path below to the grass along the river. Running next to me was a shadow, trailing steadily but keeping pace, following me along the sidewalk that wound along the banks. At first, I was happy to have a companion, particularly one who had joined me from time to time through the years. My feelings quickly turned to empathy. It was one of those runs when I was feeling good. I was pounding at a good pace. My strides were long and machine-like, consuming the path before me as I rapidly put the miles behind. The shadow that joined me on that beautiful morning was having one of those trials that all runners understand. Some days can only be described as painful. Typically, there isn't any rationale. They're the runs you have to battle through, the days that make you wonder if your running time is finally nearing an end. Nevertheless, they are the kind of runs that make you a runner. The shadow was moving slowly with strides that were short and choppy, at times looking more like a shuffle than a run. 
I sped up, but it somehow managed to keep pace, even if its form exposed the struggle at hand, which I couldn't help but admire, because clearly every step was a strain. Part of being a runner is inheriting a sense of admiration for the struggle, because we are all aware of the mountains that must be conquered from time to time. The shadow's posture revealed that it was soon to lose pace with me. Bent at the waist, it moved with hunched shoulders, like an old man in denial that his running days had ended years before, and these days were just momentum. It was just not ready to admit what everyone else could clearly see. I sped up a bit more, the sight of the shadow weighing down on what was one of my best runs in weeks, but it tried to keep pace, only giving in and admitting defeat as a large cloud bank moved in, sparing at the humiliation of falling back as I sped away. I thought about the shadow for the rest of my run, in fact, on and off for the next several days. Clearly, it was a broken down version of what it had once been. I wondered if there was a time when it had graced the river, turning heads that sped down the paths, had it once dominated its age group and races throughout the city. When my time came, and I was just a shadow of my former self, I could only hope that I would recognize the day and gracefully enter into self-imposed retirement. Surely. I would never fall to the level of that shadow. I was far too self-aware for that. How to ruin a story. There's a good story here. Unfortunately, I can't tell it no matter how much I would like to. The correct way to tell a tale of my first race after turning 60 would be to follow the prescribed outline for storytelling that has been found for generations. Full disclosure, I might ruin most of the movies that you watched for years to come, so feel free to skip this section. Based on my time since relocating to our new home in the hills, my concern was that I had reached an age where the sub-eight-minute mile was behind me and a rapid decline was on the horizon. I would capture my moment of doubt at the starting line and struggle through the early part of the race. At the halfway point, I would start to believe that it was still possible, only to hit an obstacle with a mile to go. I could hit the runner's wall, or better yet, wrench an ankle, ensuring inevitable defeat. It would be at that moment that I would recall a conversation the night before with one of my children, admonishing me to push on and defeat Father Time. At that moment, when all was lost, I would reach deep and finish the race with my best time in several years and put my fears behind me. That's the way you tell a story. That's the way the writers, editors, and storytellers tell stories. In the beginning, there's a challenge, an obstacle, a goal. It seems out of reach or beyond what a reasonable person would strive for. Enter the wise advocate, or whatever you'd like to call this person, resource, whatever. Look for the Yoda in the story. They're the key and will point you toward the outcome they play the role of best supporting actor. They offer encouragement, reality, or a new perspective. They press us to be more than even we believe we can be, which will arrive at the perfect time. In my tale, they're the words of my children. As the story moves forward, it appears as if the unlikely success is in reach, only to have an event that dashes our hopes. In a two-hour movie, this happens somewhere between the 90 and 100 minute mark. This is where the wise advocate magically appears, either in person or a moment of reflection. Occasionally, it's only implied, but that's only in the finest writing. As the movie, book, play, etc. wraps up, the insurmountable is surmounted. 
and we all ride together to the end. You cross the finish line with me looking up at the clock as the seconds tick by, and I dig deep to prove to myself that age is just a number. We all cheer. That's how you write a story. Unfortunately, that's not my story. As I stood at the starting line, I already knew the outcome. A week earlier, I was out in Buffalo visiting our grandson, and of course our son and daughter-in-law, when I went for a run during nap time. Everything was flat, and I turned in a four-mile interval run well under the eight-mile mark that was hanging over my head. So that morning of the race, I already knew that one more year was behind me, and the fade remained slow and manageable. There was no wise advocate. There was no building up to the impossible challenge and rising above it. It was just another 5K along rural roads on a 39-degree morning. And I was okay with that. Thanks for stopping by this edition of Still in the Race. If you'd rather read than listen, much of this content, along with other odd thoughts and observations, finds its way to stillintherace.com. Production and editing are care of Trey Jones. You can find him at cherryjoneswriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. You can find them both at babyfeverpodcast.com. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say. But don't count on it.